uh, Skullboys. The Street Press Podcast with Sean Fraser. For a start, there are not enough white men doing podcasts. I've got to always support that when that comes along. I was talking to a mate today at a baby queue. We didn't cook a baby. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that yeah. was. I just want to thank you. Yeah, no, it was me. He wouldn't shake our hand until he finished putting it on his glove. <laughs> Imagine what he's like during the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. Well, I got you here for the podcast after your big night last oh. night, so I'm stoked with that. I get a thrill knowing that you're doing what you're doing. That's good. Well, I don't know what I'm doing today. We're just sort of just winging it. Did you moon Kylie Minogue? Yeah. <laughs> Yes, hello and welcome back to the Street Press Podcast. My name is Sean Fraser. Episode 13 we're up to. If you're a regular listener, I bet you you're sitting there thinking, wow, 13 episodes, he's still going. Yes, I am still going and I am loving doing it. Uh, My favourite time of the week, every Wednesday I have an act or an artist from the music industry and we just chat about stuff. Um, I should write questions one day. One, One of these days I will. I'll, I'll, I'll sit down and I'll think about what I'm going to say before I do these interviews. Probably not. I enjoy just uh, having, a, having a chat with whoever it is and uh, just getting the goss on their life and their, you know, their careers as musicians. And I hope you do too. So today's episode features a man who I believe vanished. I thought he disappeared off the face of the earth, but he's alive and well, just in, in Los Angeles, that's where he lives now. His name is Darren Cordo, the lead singer, songwriter for Australian pop rock, pop punk band Kiss Chasey. They're a band that burst onto the scene in the mid-2000s and they had their big song, Doodos and Wattos. That was the first single that was big. Um, from then on, we heard many a single. There were a lot of hits that came out of this band and they've gotten back together. So they broke up in 2015 They are now getting back together to play. The Good Things Festival, which is coming up this year, if you enjoyed Soundwave Festival back in the day, which was, like I've said before and many times on this podcast, my favourite festival of all time, uh, The Good Things is very similar to Soundwave. It has a lot of that uh, punk rock, um, heavy metal sort of vibe. This year, I think there's no effects. There's Mill and Colin, there's Kiss Chasey, uh, plenty of good bands going to be on the bill. And I speak with Darren about the uh, upcoming festival. We talk about his life in LA. We speak about his songwriting process, uh, a couple of the projects that he's got underway at the moment. He's a very, very busy guy. He's not just a singer-songwriter. He's a producer. He's doing uh, he's doing a lot at the moment. But there are also two massive announcements that get brought up in this interview. You won't find it anywhere else. You won't hear it anywhere else. Darren just said it to me. He might have also told his family and probably the guys in the, in the, in the band. But if you're a Kiss Chasey fan, you are going to be so excited to hear what is about to come. Um, and also, it was Darren's first Zoom call, which was it was really special to be a part of that. Um, I sort of show him how to do all the backgrounds, you know, all the stupid like animals in the background and stuff. Um, that plays a very important part in this interview. I hope you're still here listening. I'm telling you, it, it is a good chat. Let's just get him on. Darren Cordo, <laughs> the singer of Kiss Chasey. Can you hear me now? Gotcha. Sweet. <laughs> we did it. This is uh, your first Zoom. Yeah, it is. Never yeah. done a Zoom. I've got away with not doing one the whole pandemic. Yeah, that's crazy. You'd be like one of the only people in the world that hasn't done a Zoom. 
I think so, yeah. I've done like video chats, but somehow not through Zoom, like through telehealth with my doctor and everything like that. But um, I think with Zoom, it kind of scared me because I had to have like an app and it has like a password and it's just one too many <laughs> steps. Well, so I think I kind of freaked out and I just do every time somebody asked me to do a Zoom, I was like, oh, can we just call each other? And so, I, yeah, until now. For, for this, I, I, you know, I branch out, get out of my comfort zone. Well, thanks for doing that. And there's um, there's cool apps on Zoom. You can change your background and shit. So like, you can uh, you can just set your background. Here we go. There you go. You can. Oh, just that's be... not. There we go. That looks really nice. That's more. It's that's that. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. that must be. I don't think that's in Australia. Oh, in well, Serengeti. Yeah, that's a zebra. Hang on, what yeah. is it? What is it? Is a giraffe behind me? I didn't realize so... you were so uh, well traveled. That's great. <laughs> Yeah, so basically that's what you can do. That's as much as I know how to do. I know how to make a call on this thing. And I know yep. that's all you need, really. I mean, that's more than I thought you could do on Zoom. So I'm already <laughs> impressed. So Yeah, I know how to put a giraffe behind me. That's good. How are, <laughs> how are you, man? Anyways, this is recording. So basically the podcast is happening already. So uh, Oh, great. Perfect. <laughs> how 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 have you pressures off? Um, I've been good, man. Yeah, I've been uh kind of Getting ready, actually, because, I mean, this podcast kind of worked out timing-wise because we're about to do these shows in, you know, the end of November, early December. Can you hear the ice cream, man? <laughs> I, it's not that loud, but I could hear a few things. That's all right. If you want to okay, get an cool. ice cream, you can go and grab one. I was thinking about it, but uh, just <laughs> the weather's the weather's just taking a turn, so I think I'll stay I'll stay put. But um, we're kind of, yeah, getting ready. I, I'm, I'm in the process, actually, of going back through the songs, uh, this festival of good things that we're doing. Yeah, it's so good. Us, yeah, it's a good lineup. So they've asked us to do our first album in uh, its entirety. And I was kind of apprehensive because I did you know, usually at a festival you do, you know, the bangers, you do all the, the singles, yeah. the high energy songs. And and so to do the, the full album, you know, that first album's got a lot of like peaks and troughs. It's a bit of like a bit of a journey as if anybody here remembers Albums. There's acoustic songs on there as well. Would the acoustic songs get a run? I think so. I don't, I don't know if I'm going to do the whole um, guitar changeover thing. I think I'll just twang them oh, on yeah. my electric, yeah. you know, and just kind of uh, do it that way. But we'll see. I don't know. You know, I've got to fly over from the States, so it depends how, many, how much gear I can afford to bring with me. But uh, I think, you know, last time we did it, which was in 2015, it's the last time we played, I did them on a electric. I'll have to go back and watch watch any footage if anybody wants to send some footage through that'd be actually really <laughs> handy but um yeah so i'm going i'm in the process of going back and relearning my own songs kind of looking up some lyrics here and there and uh yeah just kind of it's, it's funny it is kind of like riding a bike at first i'm kind of like how does this song go again yeah, and i've yeah. been and then um you know i'll look up a tab or look up somebody playing it on youtube i'm like oh okay yeah that's that's right that's wrong so once you do nail them, I feel like the gig's not too far away. So uh, rehearsals, do you think you'll get a, just a handful of rehearsals in or will you sort of yeah. just walk straight onto stage and go, I hope you know it? Well, I mean, firstly, thank you for assuming that I will nail them. Um, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll see. But, uh, yeah, so I land uh, in Melbourne on my mum's birthday, which is November 28th, and um, I'm that's a Monday, and the sh- first show – is that um, Flemington race course on the Friday. And so I think what's going to happen is I'll be uh, kind of running through the songs over here in um, Los Angeles and they're gonna, the rest of the guys are on Melbourne's Mornington Peninsula. They're going to be um, 
uh, rehearsing. I guess the plan is that they'll be doing a few rehearsals without me leading up to those days. And then once I get there, it's just going to be like four nights in a row of just going through the material. And hopefully it it is, you know, like, like I said, it is like riding a bike. It's all muscle memory. We get back in the same room that energy is there. I mean, we played those songs, you know, we know them inside and out. We've, We've played them like so many, so many times in so many different places. It feels like we should by then, really kind of have it together I'll be, I'll be very disappointed if we don't it is like that muscle memory hey once you've written the songs and you've you've played those songs so many times over the years i mean obviously recently you haven't but uh it is that sort of thing where you pick up guitar and you just go oh okay yeah that's right i have my fingers there and i, I sang this line you think you'll get it pretty pretty quickly yeah i mean most of the songs i i have actually like i, I will say like i'm uh, it's kind of taking the piss a little bit when i was saying i was having to relearn them via the internet most of the stuff I have has come back pretty quick as it was just a couple of like a chord here or there or you know um things like that how did the show come about was it you guys all getting together and going hey let's play again or did someone hit you up and say hey it'd be so good to have you here at the festival uh it was actually our, our old booking agent select music uh with this idea of of doing a tour at first he was kind of like you know what, what do you guys think and you know I'm not very uh, nostalgic. I think one of the mm. best things a band can do really is, is break up because I think bands have this moment in time when the stars align and everything lines up and they make their best work. And I think everything after that is them trying to kind of, you know, kind of recapture the peak. glory or something. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes that, that, that peak can last for one album, it can last for, you know, a few albums. I like to think it lasted for all our albums and then we we ended at a, at a high. Um, we, we definitely didn't milk it and, and let it kind of, you know, kind of draw out past the point where we were enjoying it anymore. I feel like we were still loving it when we broke up. But it, for me as a songwriter, it was like, all right, what's next? And I think we, we were all going in different musical directions, so it just made sense. And so, you know, the idea had been thrown around a few times, maybe we should do a tour here or there but obviously i'd moved over here to the states um back in um 2016 and so you know logistically it would be really hard and and you know to be honest i kind of liked that i liked the idea that i I, kiss chasey was i was very proud of it but it was in its it was in its time capsule which i like things in the past to be i think lots of the time you could say the same thing with relationships You, you can really kind of romanticize things and then when you dig up that corpse and hold on to it uh, it's not quite the same as when it was alive you know and so I think that's how I kind of looked at it um, for a long time but when enough time passes and you and, and you and you learn a little bit more as you get a little bit older I, I think it took me a while to actually really really truly appreciate what it was that we had done and that there are people who miss us you know even if it's our parents, my family, for example, they're getting older and they always ask me if, if we're going to play again. And, you know, it's, it's almost like a, a, a debt of gratitude to them and to the, and to the people who have been there for us and, and, and supported us through all those years. There are like a very- lot of people still keen to hear Kiss Chasey and the Good Things Festival. I think there's going to be a huge crowd there for you. All of my mates. Oh, that's great. You know, I didn't and, realize you were so popular. That's great. <laughs> I'm, I'm from the Central Coast, and I don't know what it is, but a Central Coast, which is north of Sydney, just an hour north of Sydney. But when it came to 
punk bands and pop punk bands and stuff. Huge following around the Central Coast. And I remember you came and played like the community hall or something. Oh, yeah. Like everyone yeah, was, community calls around there, yeah. Everyone was talking about going to it that day. And it was a huge crowd. Well, I think, yeah, that was one of the things as well as we always tried to get out to like those, you know, the, the in-between towns where where real people exist and it, but people would like, and they were always the most fun shows. Like they're the shows that, that people just had no inhibition. That was, they just, it, it was kind of like berserk and it was, it had this energy to it and it felt like people didn't take it for granted. And, and yeah, obviously the central coast is, it is very, cause Chasey grew up on the Mornington Peninsula. Yeah. So, so similar, kind it's of similar. It's like at this coastal town, it's about an hour out of the main city and it's kind of everybody's either service or skates and music plays a big part in that, in those cultures. Yeah. yeah. Same. Very you same. You feel isolated. Yeah. You feel, and you feel like there's a kind of relentless boredom that hangs over your head. So <laughs> yes. when something, yes. so it's something like a, a, a band comes that you love it's kind of like you just don't you do not miss out and so yeah. so we made a point of because we came from that always playing in those towns and and our first shows were on the Mornington Peninsula playing community halls there and we knew how fun they were so we always did that and that was one of the things that made us I think also a really tight band is that we went we, when we did tours we made sure we did as many shows in between the cities as we could because we knew a how much how much fun they could be um, and how much the kids appreciate it. So, so that was, you know, cause we are those kids. doesn't matter, yeah. you know, how, how bald we, we go. We, we're still those kids, you know? You were touching on living in Los Angeles. You've been there since 2016. I swear after the band finished in 2015, it was almost like you vanished. I remember knowing that you were over there. What brought you over there? What was the reason? What, um, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things. It's, it's kind of, um, Again, like I said, I like things to be in a time capsule. At the time when Kiss Chasey broke up, uh, Australia to me just felt very like a like a a big small town. And I'd gotten I'd gone through a divorce. I'd the band had called it a day, and I felt like, what's next? And I was, you know, my publisher was over here, and they were like, well, you come over here, and you could, you know, I know you've been touring a lot, so instead of doing that, you could potentially set up a studio space where you could write with a lot of different people. There's a big world for that here. You could just be collaborating with the different people. And, and and for me, it's just also about that whole idea of just getting out of my comfort zone. And, you know, it, it's funny because when I was uh, younger, grew up growing up in like Cranbourne and then like I was talking about and then moving to the peninsula, there was that, that, that feeling of, overarching boredom like I said that you have there yep. and 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 so for me it was just always this feeling of just wanting to, to to evolve and get out of wherever I was and 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 find something new so I didn't get bored and so it, it was that next thing I was like okay like you know I didn't want to be one of those bands or people who said we're breaking up for some kind of you know stunt like a publicity stunt I was like okay we're calling this and I'm I'm, I'm moving on to the next thing and yep. so I, I moved over here and you know, I've been collaborating with so many different people playing in a bunch of different bands. Like, you know, it was, it was so interesting because in, in Kiss Tracy, I had to put all my musical tastes through that one vessel for like, you know, almost 15 years. And so it was so kind of liberating to come here and to be able to, uh, to kind of write with as many different people as possible and perform with them. And, 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 and funnily enough, a lot of the writing I was doing was still coming from Australia as well. I did write with people like Alex La here. I, I, you know, uh, Luca produced Brassi. the last two, Luca, yeah, the last two Luca Brasi records. Um, and so it's funny. It's it, I was over here, but I was still, I was still a nice feeling to still have that 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 connection, that you know, that musical bridge to Australia. Um, 
and and so the last the last few years since the pandemic actually have almost brought me full circle because I moved here not really wanting to do my own thing where it was more like work with other artists and and finally after like the pandemic I was sitting there and I was kind of isolated I was writing a bunch of stuff that I felt like well nobody else can really say these things but me and 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 I finally got into a point where all my those different musical tastes that were bubbling up I found something that I could a vessel that I could put it through so that's this new project that I've got called Daz and the Demons. When people hear it, it's definitely, you can see the the, the lineage there with Kiss Chasing. It's not like this world's apart. It's almost like I dug in to the musical history that led up to bands like Kiss Chasing, back through nice. Weezer, then back through the, the power pop kind of archives and all the way back to the music that I grew up with, like Roy Orbison and the Beach Boys and stuff like that. It's the, lots of kind of very melodic, lots of harmonies, um, lots of jangly guitars, but still that pop sensibility that Kiss Chasey had there and that not taking it too seriously thing. I definitely haven't um, betrayed myself in that sense. I'm definitely keeping to my taste. And if anything, I've, I've, it's a more distilled, purified version of who I am. I've, I've just taken the years to kind of f- figure that out and dispose of all the kind of kind of ugly outfits that I might have tried on overnight and kind of like thought I could go in that direction. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't dug into Daz and the Demons yet. So how far along are we with it? Where is the project at the moment? Have you got a have you got a few singles out? Have you got a No, nothing out? like that. It's all okay. it's all like little demos sitting in on a tape machine at my house. Oh, so cool, at the moment cool. so we I've got I've got a band that it might that are just people that I've worked with in LA over the years that I kind of like kept in mind. I was like I want to work with I got Spencer, I got my one of my best buddies Zach on bass. So I've got these two uh, amazingly talented women, Genevieve Patterson on keys and vocals, and then my friend Mackenzie Howe. She is uh uh on guitar and vocals. And and they're all, you know, they they all come from different bands around Los Angeles and they're all incredibly talented people and the people that I thought I, I would be really honored to work with these guys if I could. And I sent them each the songs that I was working on, you know, with my fingers crossed hoping they'd, they'd want to jump on board and they all came back and they didn't. We've been just chipping away, playing, uh, playing like actually got a rehearsal room in my house. I've kind of lucked out in this little space that I've got in Los Angeles where I've got like a recording studio, a few bedrooms and a rehearsal room nice. in my house. <laughs> um, so it's kind of like this little like fertile playground for, for musicians here. It's really cool. So, yeah, so we've been like chipping away at that. We just actually locked in our first show which nobody in Australia is going to care about, but it's um, with some great bands here in um, this place called the Permanent Records Roadhouse and this great band called uh, Grady Strange and another artist called um, Clark and the Himselves um, who have some great stuff out, really amazing pop songs and, and just really kind of weird, like interesting stuff. It's, it's, it's going to be a really fun show. So I guess, I mean, this is the last thing I do before I come to Australia to, to go to go with Kiss Chasing. We've got this show on November 11th and then it's all Kiss Chasey land. I'm going to um, put my head down and get ready for, for these shows in Australia. And then hopefully when I come back here at the end of December, um, we can work out something where Daz and the Demons can come out to Australia once we start putting down some actual real-life recordings that the world can hear, which hopefully be out early next year. What's it feel like creating another project right now? Is the fire raging inside? Like are you absolutely pumped? You can't wait to show it to the world? Yeah, it does feel like that because I feel like for so long, I guess, you know, and I don't I don't want to give away any of the mystery or the magic, 
behind Kiss Chasey, you know, when a band gets to a level where it is successful, it's making money and it's and it's kind of like you've got expectations and you've got labels and booking agents and other members and just, you know, this bureaucracy that exists there. It's one of those things where succeeding at doing what you love can sometimes evaporate that love to an extent. And so when Kiss Chase had been, you know, on firing off in that level for, you know, a good few years, it started to get to the point where I was like, I was, I didn't know after Kiss Chasey if doing it at that level was really what I wanted, what truly made me happy. And so it took me a long time to even like pick up a guitar again with the idea that I'd be, I'd be singing over it from with my own voice saying what I have to say. And it kind of took the, the pandemic. Uh, One thing that did happen early last year was my dad uh, had a stroke. Mm. And it was a really bad one, and and we thought he might die. He's now he's you know he's in a wheelchair now. He's he's got the the whole right side paralyzed thing, and so it kind of sorry to hear. Thanks, mate. No, well, I mean you know we've had a lot of, a lot of, lot of time to deal with it, and he's doing well now. And it was a big uh, I guess wake up call. He wasn't quite looking after himself health wise, and so now you know we're just very grateful that I get to talk to him and see him, and I, you know I come back as often as I can, and we hang out and. And, but he was, he was kind of, he did say something that hit really close to home, which was like, son, if you're going to be over in the States and he, he wants me to, like, he's, he's a singing teacher. I grew up, he was the, my main musical influence. And so he is all about me pursuing music in any way that I can. But he's like, if you are going to be over there, you need to be focusing on your own music as well. And not just other people. Cause I want to hear you. And he was right. I, I, I hadn't been doing that enough. And, and, and it's a really nice thing to say too. Yeah, to have your dad say something like that is that's really special. Like that, just wants to hear his son sing, and that's just beautiful. yeah, I think so. And I think he also knows how happy it does make me. And I think I'd kind of lost that and I've forgotten it. Uh, but but he'd seen me go through that, and it was so funny because after he just had his stroke and I got to Australia and then I got back here, I started digging through some some songs that I'd just been like, ah, I'm not going to do anything with those, even though I, I knew there was something special about them. I was just kind of like doing that thing where I psyched myself out of it because, uh, you know, I was afraid maybe. Mm. Um, and then I started tinkering with them and I was like, holy shit, like I haven't felt this good or happy or like excited about anything musical in so long since, since do do's and what all those songs I was writing with kiss Chase, but I, that I knew, holy shit, we're on, I, I'm onto something special here. This is something that's got yeah. something. I, you just has this feeling. One of those things where it feels like, you didn't write the song. It was just there and you just happened to put your hand up and grab it and just <laughs> put it down on the guitar. You, you know, you know, that feeling that, that, you know, I talk to songwriters all the time that, that have that same feeling that it's just kind of like, Oh God, like I was just lucky. I just, I, I just was, had the right inspiration at the right time. That's how I'm feeling about this stuff. And and I think it really helped having my dad give me that extra kick at the bum, you know? Yeah. Oh, that's a really special story. It's really, really nice to hear that. Um, but uh, when it comes to songwriting, like when you were writing United Paper People, it's it's just like there's so many hits on that on that album. It really was a special time. But not only that, you backed it up with hymns. Um, did you write two albums around hymns? Like you picked hymns in the end, but there was also yeah. a bunch of other music that did anyone ever get to hear? Uh, I mean, I think maybe a few of the um, demos of the songs that didn't end up on hymns maybe ended up on that to be or not to be which is our uh, b-sides yeah. Yeah. album you know when you're writing for an album you write you know 20 30 songs if you're prolific enough and then you pick the best 
10 or 12 or however many. And so, um, and, and not only the best, but, but the most cohesive, usually when you write that many songs, you look back and you can see, ah, oh, there's, there's a, there's a thread between these songs here. Sometimes you don't realize that going into it. Lots of the time, you know, it's re- rarely does somebody go, okay, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to make this kind of album right now. Yeah. It's usually like you, you, life happens, life events happen and you get this inspiration. You're pulling from different things and you start writing and then you start writing some more and some more and some more. And then you start demoing. With I, I did a few different spurts uh, with hymns where I was like, listening to like a lot of bands like Lemonheads and Pavement and I was writing songs that were a bit more like that. And then I was also listening to to, to some heavier stuff and the heavier stuff just had more, uh, yeah, just more cohesion. And and, and they also had some of the, the, the biggest hooks that we could tell, okay, these are going to be big singles. Like I think I wrote Opinions Won't Keep You Warm at Night and um, Spray On Pants in the same little bout of songs and I came to the band with those songs and they were like, well, okay, this is going to be something. (laughs) So it was one of those things. And like I was saying earlier, where, you know, where bands hit this stride and the stars align, I think that happened with hymns. Um, To me, that's the most cohesive album. And I think it was the most realized. I think with United Paper People, I was, I was still figuring out who I was as a songwriter. And I think that works for that album. It's like, it's, like I said, it's got those ups and downs. It's got softer songs and heavier songs and, and it takes you on a bit of a journey. And then with hymns, I'd kind of, you know, the songs you ended up putting together were all that very much that theme of, I remember my our manager at the time and our label head, um, John Watson said, the best thing you can do when you're, when you're thinking of what to name an album is to, is to come up with a central concept that the album represents and it can just be one word. And so for me, hymns was the word awakening because I was, you know, I grew up going to church with my family and I was kind of politically naive and all these things. And at that point in time, I'd become, you know, vegan and I had um, kind of lost my parents' religion and, and I was starting to become more aware of the world around me. And so that really permeated the songs and so those heavy songs kind of also had that lyrical content, whereas the other songs I was writing around that time didn't. So it just kind of made sense. I could see this thread in these songs. It was like these heavier kind of angrier songs were kind of, you know, rising to the surface and they had this, they had something to say more so than the songs that, that we left off the album. Is that what really gets a song out of you with the meaning behind it makes it easy? Is it easier to write a song if it has something, you know, that means a lot to you? Lots of the time, if I'm, you can feel musically inspired and other times you can feel lyrically inspired. Sometimes they come at the same time uh, and other times they'll come separately. So lots of the time, if I've got some music sitting there that I think is really good and I'll have a melody. So I'll have like a, Na, 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 or something like that. I might not have the lyrics straight away, but I'm, I know that it's a strong melody. So I'm not going to sit there and go, I'm going to write lyrics to this right now while I'm feeling lyrically uninspired because I, f- I feel like I won't meet the potential of that melody. So sometimes I'll wait. I'll wait till something happens. Or, yeah. you know, sometimes it will happen in the middle of the night. I'll have a dream or I'll be you know, pissed off about something. And then I'll be like, wow, I've got something exactly right. And I'll sit down. And you just and attach them, right? You just make them meet. Yeah. And other, and times, other times they come together. Lots of the time, sometimes I'll be sitting there like fiddling around on a guitar and I'll be like, um, dun, dun, there's a light this mm. I think with opinions that just came out, I think those lyrics are there. Lots of the time when you're humming or, or just singing random nonsensical words and you're writing a song, it's the way I work anyway you'll you'll have certain vowel sounds 
that yeah. innately, instinctively work with that melody. So lots of the time, even if I don't have the full lyrics, I'll try and keep those vowel sounds that I just like mumbled into my phone or into a tape machine or whatever. I'll try and keep it as close to that as possible because usually when you're first kind of putting something together, that's when it's at its purest and that's when it's kind of at its best. I've heard this. So you come up with an idea, all of a sudden this um, melody pops in and you've got these words that are a bit silly, but that's all you've got in your head. And sometimes some people will then take that idea three months later, try and record it and try and get real creative with their words and blow the song. Like the, the, the yeah. original idea on the day they came up with it should have been what was recorded. For me, that has been the case. And I think for a lot of people, I think it's, you know, you, you got to trust your instincts sometimes. Yeah. And so even when uh, I do do the waiting game and I'll wait till, till something hits me, more often than not, I'm still trying to capture that original, like the original way that the song made me feel and sound. So I'll try not to, you know, veer too far from the way the lyrics were sounding in my head when I first wrote it. Yeah, yeah. You seem to be pretty set up in LA. I'm guessing you're... I think you're staying there. Um, you've been there a long time already. Is that the plan? You think you long term you're going to stay in LA, or you're never ruling out a return? Look, you know, I, ideally, I'd be um, financially astute enough to split my split my time between the two. You know, I think yep. um, as your parents get older, and obviously, as I mentioned earlier, as they get, uh, you know, uh, as as the health starts to deteriorate, uh, you know, family's a huge priority, and I want to be back there as 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 much as I can while still pursuing what it is I feel like is my purpose in life. And so there's, there are talks and, you know, I, I think it's okay to say um, on this podcast that there are talks of more Kiss Chasey shows. Hey, um, and <laughs> there we go. <laughs> that is the first time I've said that out loud. Oh, yeah, good. And, yeah. So, um, so that's something that that's very much on the cards and, and, and that's something we're actually looking at next year. So, you know, a, I'm, I'm excited about that and I'm also excited about the opportunity that it gives me to, to, to come back to my, what is my home, which is Australia, yeah. the pl- not only with my family, but the place that sculpted me as an artist. And every time I go back, I don't know, it's one of those things you, you, sometimes you appreciate things more in absentia. And I think leaving Australia, every time I go past, I'm like, wow, it's, it's beautiful, you know, and, and, and I feel so lucky to have come from there. I don't think I'm quite done with LA yet, but like I said, I get bored. <laughs> So yeah. what do you like about LA? What do you like about it over Australia and, and vice versa? I've been to I've been to America and it's a fascinating place. It's sick though. Like I I, I love America. It's probably my favorite place to go. Well, yeah, I think I think LA especially has it's so big, so vast, there's so much going on that you know, if you're here for long enough and you dig deep enough, you can just find what it is you're looking for. And I feel like not every city can say that. You gotta, you know, you gotta align a certain way to to really, you know get in with certain cities and I feel like with LA there's so many different cultures here there's just it's just such a cross-section of society it's got such a cool weird history obviously with everything we've devoured throughout the years you know on on a pop culture level um comes from from so much of it comes from here um obviously the opportunity you know as far as like you can write song you, you meet i remember reading a, a, a an interview when i first moved here that said los angeles it offers a logical backbone to illogical pursuits right okay so that's a lot, it's one lot of those of things yeah it is it's kind of a tongue twister <laughs> but it's basically saying that you, you'll be here and you'll meet someone who's got 
you know, some incredible property in Topanga Canyon. Now I was like, what did you do? And I was like, I wrote that three minute song and that ad that comes yeah. on Netflix. Yeah. There's like, there's just so much of that here. There's all the studios and stuff here. So there is, there is something to be said for being where the action is. Australia is a great place. It really looks out for the little guy. You know, I always say that if I was in any way, disadvantage in life i think australia would be a much better place to be i'm, I'm yeah. very lucky that i can take advantage of america but you know for example my parents if my dad had his stroke and he was living here it would have been hell on earth the fact that you've got something like the ndis where he's got yes carers yes, yes. and everything there looking after him it kind of when i tell Absolutely. people that my friends hear that they that just blows their mind that, that happens so I'm, I'm i'm very very grateful that i'm australian citizen and i would never ever relinquish my citizenship or anything like that. I feel like, you know, I'm so, so grateful and so lucky to come from Australia. And I also think Australia is fucking, it's cool. I think Australia is cool. It's a cool place. I think the ice, the fact that it's isolated from the world, it gives it its own flavor. So much of the music, so many of the bands coming out of us, particularly Melbourne, in my, in my opinion, like has, it's got a, such an Australian flavor to it because I don't know, there's this weird kind of parallel universe thing that goes on with Australia musically, because it's just like, it is like this first world English speaking country in the middle of nowhere beneath Asia. It's kind of got, it's just got its own thing. And I think I, I, I've always, I've always felt like that about Australia. I've never been uh, like uh, getaway Australia. It's more like for my own evolution and my own kind of just what I'm just curious, like what else is out there, you know? And I, and I know that Australia is there for me. You still got your finger on the pulse of Australian music, though. Like, I mean, you still got your hand on it as well. Like, you're helping people like Alex Lange and and Luca Brasi. How does that sort of stuff come about? Uh, lots of time. I mean, now these days, I feel like lots of it's just artist to artist. I think with Alex, it was with someone's management. Yeah, but Luke, the Luca boys, I've known forever. Like they. Uh, hit me up direct and and you know like we two of them we you know, final tour was with them actually so you know we've always been mates and uh, you know since we, we we've played together so it's just one of those things that, that comes about and then every time I go back to Australia I try and you know catch a show here and there you know and see just see what's going on because there's always I'm always impressed and how hands-on are they asking you to be I mean are they the boys they're writing the songs and they're going hey Darren listen to this well, I think with Luca Brasi, I'm a producer in more of the traditional sense. You know, you got um, some being a producer these days is kind of synonymous with being an engineer. You're there recording stuff, setting up the mics, and then um, and, and and helping them, you know, sculpt their sounds and things like that. For me, I'm coming at, I'm there before they go into the studio. So I'm a producer in the sense that I'm helping them with their songs. I'll be like, okay, well, maybe shorten the chorus here. Maybe take this word out here. This melody could probably be stronger. I help them with things like that. And, you know, song structure, help them with their top lines, which is the vocal melody and and words. Um, phrasing, you know, it can be all those different things. So the song is what I think as strong as it can be before they go into the studio to record it. They're not figuring out those things on the fly. They're going to the studio and they know the songs are like banging, you know. So they'll send me the demos. Then I'll do some, I'll kind of by ear figure out whatever chords they're using and I'll send them back some alternate versions of the songs with my voice kind of whining over the top of it for them to try out and i'm always reiterating to them that it's kind of like okay well this is uh this is what you can do if you want um but you know they're your songs this is just like me throwing this out there and i think this could be cool um and and you know 
uh, lots of the time they would use my ideas and that's great. And, and, and so I think, you know, the whole idea of the, when in, in those situations, it's like, there's no ego. It's just kind of like whatever the best idea for the song is, is what is how it's going to turn out, you know? So, so that, yeah, when you do it by proxy, like I did with them, it's very much that traditional thing, like the way Rick Rubin works with like chili peppers or whatever. He'll just yeah. like, lie down on a, on a fucking couch while the <laughs> engineer's setting up all the stuff, but he'll just yeah. be talking to them about like the song or whatever is inspiring them, what they're going for, you know, figuring out what they're trying to get out of the song and then getting it to the best it can be just as a song. Must be nice when people do come to you and, and ask for your opinion on songs and stuff. And obviously they would take your, your opinion highly. You've written hits before. So uh, that must be a really, really nice moment when that happens. Uh, yeah, it's a great feeling, actually. It's it's really good because, you know, I'm constantly reminded how inept I am at anything else. Um, I, you know, I, anytime I try and do sports or, you know, try and be a handyman or anything like that, I'm just like, fuck, okay. You know, some things just choose you for yeah. me. I mean, because growing up with a song, uh, with a singing teacher as a, as a dad, I, I first wanted to do a bunch of other stuff. I was kind of trying out different sports and boy scouts and all those different things that, that I just was just awful at. And, and, you know, I tried to be outdoorsy and, and then I was, I picked up drums at first and I was just, I was just, I mean, it's going to sound really arrogant, but it just came very naturally. Yep. And then, then, then guitar even more so in the songwriting, the, the most so. Um, and, and so I was like, okay, well, I guess this is, this is me then. Did your dad help you songwrite or just help you sing? He helped me sing. I, I think, I think he helped me songwrite in the sense that I, you know, I was just trying, try, if he thought it was, if you thought it was good, then it wasn't cool enough. So I was trying to always, um, but it's funny, actually, in, in, in hindsight, lots of the music that he grew up with, like I said, like that he, the, he saturated me with as a, as a, as a kid, which was Roy Orbison and Del Shannon and Buddy Holly and all those people actually has really, you know, sculpted my taste without me even realizing, especially now with the Daz and the Demon stuff, I'm kind of like, oh my God, this is the stuff that I grew up with. And then he, cause he sounds very much like Roy Orbison. They called Roy Orbison the Caruso of rock and roll. Cause he had this, operatic voice that he then applied to rock and roll and and my dad is a lot like that he's got he's an operatic tenor but he loves rock and roll so I always kind of like that's why I feel like I had such an affinity with Roy Orbison and so and obviously we all know that I don't sing anything like that but uh songwriting structure wise it's definitely and just the flavor of these songs is definitely kind of come full circle as much as I was trying to get away from my dad's taste when I was younger (laughs) and that's what led that's what led me to punk and everything it's funny how as much as you don't you you try and escape your parents you end up becoming them in certain ways you know (laughs) that is very true I'm very much like my dad as well there's a cool story about you guys and Below Par okay Below Par is a record label was a record Mm -hmm. label your best mate at the time started the record label and you started the band and you both took off and it both became successful yeah, I think it was one of those things. It was so I remember at the time our, our first manager when we first started playing a bunch of shows around town around Melbourne. We got our first manager. He was kind of like an old school guy who was kind of like we need to get you in front of labels. I got all these buddies, you know, from major labels. We're going to get you up to Sydney and we're going to get you in front of these all these guys from Warner and EMI and Sony and all this stuff. And so we played I can't remember what the venue, but we played this awful show. But before we went up there, Joel, the bass player, he he's always been the most savvy guy in the band as far as like reaching out to people. I was always a creative force and he was always like the the kind of logistical force. And so he was like, well, while we're there, why don't we hit up some labels that we like as opposed to just these major labels? Yep. And so there was this one label that had uh, 
put out this band for, for amusement only who were kind of, you know, big locally at the time and their label was below pie records. And we knew they were, it was run by like these guys our age. It was just kind of like, you know, we're into the same stuff that we were into and would understand what we were going for. And so we, we, I don't know, emailed them. This is, this is even pre MySpace, I think. So we, I don't know how we got a hold of them, but we got a hold of them. Send them a, uh, a letter in the mail. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> with their, with their, and a guy on a horse went and took it to them. And, um, but, uh, but yeah, and so they showed up to the show in Sydney and we were rubbish. We played such a bad show and everybody left. Everybody who was anybody that my manager had hooked up to be there was just kind of like, nah, this is this is not what we want. And 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 the only people left in the room by the end of the set were these three young kids who turned out to be the guys below part, Jai, Matt and Mark. And so, you know, we got changed to them. We went out. And I kind of like ever since that night, I feel like Jai and I, especially who was, he was, you know, the guy who started that label. He, he is my best mate still to this day. He lives just down the road. He's here in LA with me. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. And so we just had, we just understood each other and they ended up signing us and, and they were very clever as well, especially Jai is very entrepreneurial and, and, and he, uh, knew what he wanted and knew where he wanted to get. And so John Watson, who was the guy who managed Silverchair and Missy Higgins and yeah, Goatier yeah. and Birds of Tokyo and all that stuff. He also had a, has a label called Eleven, a music company, and he had a cherry picking deal with Jai and Belopa. So like he saw, he saw their potential as well. And he was kind of like, look, we can see, we like what you guys are doing. We're going to give you some funds, but, but the deal is if any of your bands, you know, we, we see a lot of potential in them. We get to upstream them to our label and our label goes through EMI and that means they're going to be really big. And, and so they'd put out a few bands that, that uh, 11 had funded, but not upstreamed. And we were the first band. They, they, they heard the demos for our album. And we were kind of like, at that time, we'd released the two EPs. We'd done Dark Side, uh, which was our first EP of five songs. And then we did, or four songs. And then we did Carasposa, which had four or five songs as well. They were just independently released through Belopa and distributed through Inertia Music. When we did United Paper People, uh, we had the demo sitting there. We knew these songs were leaps and bounds ahead of, of what we'd done before. And we we knew there was something special. And, and then John Watson came through. When we were talking about what we were going to do with, with the with the album, and we were like, did we just release, get the demos mixed and just release them like this? And then John Watson came, came through and he was like, no, I want to put this out. So we ended up recording them properly in Sydney, in Sydney at Megaphon Studios. And then we mixed it in Seattle with Barrett Jones. And that was my first taste of the States in, back in 2005. And then, um, and then from then on, it was just kind of, you know, we'd done a lot of touring work before then and built up a, a really organic fan base that was kind of, you know, that really built nice. It was a lot of Triple J support, which was great. Yeah. And then, then that extra push from a major label with John Watson involved really, really kind of, thrust us into the limelight but the cool thing was with john watson and 11 music was that below par was still very much our guys and they they still you know jai was our day-to-day guy and he still it, it was still everything went through him first before going on to, to 11 or anything else so he was like making sure that everything that we did was in line with what kiss chase was about and it still felt very very much uh, like a small family independent thing because we weren't just attached to like EMI or Sony. We were attached to like this indie label that was getting then this distribution yeah. um, through, through these major like uh, avenues. So, so it was kind of best case scenario. 
and you brought up Megafon Studios. I've recorded there. And um, No, is it still a studio? Um, no. So Megafon Studios is at St. Peter's in Sydney, and it was right yeah. up the top, right, up on the That's roof. That's right. Yeah. Um, they moved the whole console and all of the recording about two flights down, and they called the studio one flight up. Um, and then as of like a month ago, they've moved all the gear again just up the road at St. Peter's. So that stuff that you recorded on is still – around <laughs> oh amazing that's amazing because that, that was a special time i remember when we were recording that and i actually i will tell you now another exclusive yeah um, come on uh united paper people is <laughs> these guys from this company called summit distro hit us up and like we get hit up all the time about um this this album being released on vinyl because they do reissues on vinyl so they're going to yep. put out united paper people on vinyl it's being made nice. as we speak yes um and so i had to do like a little uh retrospective for the booklet. So the whole booklet, a big version of the booklet is going to be in the, on, in the vinyl um, that you can kind of read through and look at those amazing paintings that Debaser, David Homer did for United Paper People. And so on the back of it, you can now see that I've I, I, on the back of that booklet, I've done like a little blurb that was kind of just reminiscent of the creation of that album. And, and, and one of, one of the things I really remember was we recorded it in February and I remember stepping outside Megaphone on the roof and just looking out and seeing these orange, really bright orange storm clouds, like this summery storm. And that kind of, to me, that's what the whole album feels like. And it obviously even ended up looking like, um, yeah, yeah. just kind of serendipitous in a way, but it's, it's, it was, this is feeling of being at the top of Megaphone. I'll never forget it. And hearing Carl in the studio kind of just testing the drums out going, we're about to do record something special here and uh and yeah megaphone was like you know this that that rooftop of megaphone i remember that feeling so distinctly and that's something you'll never forget especially having that feeling inside that you what you're creating is something that's going to last and be around for a long time and you were you were dead right a lot of people loved it yeah it was it was it was cool and i think that was why that was the lesson that i learned then that 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 is 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 still true to now the music i'm making now i guess is that like the, the thing that matters most is if you love it, it's, it's, you know, this, it's got something going for it at the, at the very least. It's, you know, there will be an audience for it. There will be people that dig it. And you you got to trust your instincts. And I think um, I, I definitely was then, and it's taken me, you know, a, a long time to come back again, full circle to that same feeling, you know? Well, I think we've covered most of it, all of it. Who knows? The story probably continues. I, I loved it this whole time. Oh, the drive. <laughs> the drive is still behind you. You committed to it, and I love that. It's yeah, really I've, taken me away. I really feel transported. been like an hour long, and this giraffe has just been sitting behind me the whole time. Yeah, and I'm just like, he must have like a generator out there or something. I don't know where he's getting all this power from. He's got a microphone somehow, but well, you know, um, I really appreciate the effort. Um, thanks for dropping all the exclusives as well on the podcast. That's, um, that's fantastic. And, um, and I'm really pumped to hear some more new, uh, kiss Chasey and to see you guys at the good things festival. It's been such a long time since I last saw you. I think I saw you at the entrance on the central coast and that was a really fucking good show. Actually. I think a few people got on stage. I mean, yeah, central coast is always great. So I feel <laughs> like you hopefully caught one of the good ones. Yeah. But yeah, I think these, these shows are, are going to be great. I think we're going to be, I feel like it's been a long time that, that any of us been on a stage in that capacity and i think it's just going to be a, there's going to be a lot of catharsis there a lot of release like i said a lot of life's happened between so i think you know we'll channel it into the performance darren cordo thank you so much for jumping on the podcast today all the way from los angeles uh you're the first overseas guest i think i've had so thank you there thank we you go and we'll have to Happy get to, to oblige to- 
I have to get you back on when there's new Kiss Chasey and um and Daz and the Demons. Demons. Yeah, yes, that would be sick. Wasn't gonna let you forget about that one. No, um, no, yeah, for no. sure. No, I'll send it through to you, uh, and and uh, and then you know, hopefully, uh, if you like it, we can uh, do the old another episode two, I guess. Yeah, that would be absolutely excellent. All right, man. Thank you so Thanks, much. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. Darren Cordo, Kiss Chasey, how good. Get your hands on those vinyls hopefully soon. The Kiss Chasey United paper people. And they are playing at Good Things Festivals. It's all looking up for Kiss Chasey at the moment. If you want to get uh, a ticket, go to goodthingsfestival.com.au. It is going to be a spectacular afternoon. There are shows in Sydney, Brisbane, Melbourne. If you love your punk rock, you love your heavy music, it's the gig to be at. They've got Mill and Colin, No Effects, Tism. They're returning. An exclusive first show in 19 years. They're back. The Emity Affliction, Kiss Chasey. Uh, it's a great lineup. Sleeping with Sirens. The list goes on. Check it out. Goodthingsfestival.com.au. Now it's time for this. Yeah, I got plenty of good mail from the Fangs episode last week. Had Josh Cottrow on, uh, the lead singer. There was a part of that interview where we spoke about a music video being made in lockdown. And Sam, who was also in the band, he uh, contacted me after that episode dropped. And we were discussing how he made that music video in the one room of his house with just some makeup and a video camera. It's a great video too. He said, never in five years of classical guitar training did I think I'd ever become a performance artist. Uh, It is a great music video. Check it out. It's called I Don't Like Me, Fangs. Awesome music video that was made during lockdown when no one was allowed to leave their house. As for my band, the Ritzy Kids, there's a few big things happening at the moment. First, we are in the studio. On Saturday, we went down to Port Botany to Rankham Studios. Tim Carr, he was behind the desk, the mixing desk. He had his uh, assistant there, Dom. Spectacular day. Scotty behind the tubs. I think he recorded about seven songs. Uh, and we still had time to go to the pub, all of us, which was great. Um, so there are, is some new music by the Ritzy Kids coming up. Hopefully have something out, whether it's a single or more than that, uh, by the end of this year. Would be spectacular. Also, uh, the Central Coast Mariners came knocking, the A-League side, and uh, we helped produce a song for them. It's a song that, uh, well, how do I say it? We wouldn't normally play a song like this but we decided to make it a little bit more punk rock so the song paradise city by guns and roses uh that's what the mariners wanted and we got it together in a very short space of time and uh got it back to them it's a really punk rock version of uh, paradise city something you probably wouldn't be used to but it came out good. Big shout out to Mitch Clues. I sent him a message and I said, mate, um, you know this song pretty well. What do you think? Is it possible to turn this around in a day or two? And he did it with no dramas at all. So thank you very much, Mitch. All right. That is the end of this episode. It was a long one. Um, next week, two guests at the same time. They're going to be on the show. Uh, I'm really pumped for it. So hopefully I'll have your ears there. All right. Ta-da. Thank you.